Welcome to Voices in Health Law, the podcast of the American Bar Association Health Law Section. I'm your host, Jeff Worsberg, with Norton Rose Fulbright. And my guest today will be speaking at the upcoming Emerging Issues in Healthcare Conference in San Diego, March 8th through 11th. There's still plenty of time to register, and I hope to see many of you there. This session is going to be how evolutions in digital health are impacting value-based care. Is digital health the ideal vehicle for advancing value-based care? And the panel members will be Beth Jacobson, Nezrin Tift, and Justin Shambly. And we're going to have a great discussion today previewing this topic. First and foremost, it's an enormously timely topic that I think is affecting folks across the spectrum of, of healthcare stakeholders. And so with that, I'm going to ask our speakers, first and, and foremost, why this topic and why now? Justin, I'll, I'll ask you to start. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jeff, for, for having us. I think this, as you mentioned, is a very relevant topic. With my background in the, the finance and strategy consulting space, we are working a lot with organizations on their value-based care strategies, valuing different value-based care arrangements. And what we continue to find is organizations are looking for ways to create value in those value-based care settings. And, and one of those ways that they continue to do so is turning to digital health tools to, to allow them to find success in that space. And, and so we, we see a lot of adoption in the value-based care space, just in terms of ACO, CINs, uh, other progressive healthcare entities pursuing value-based care and, and needing these tools to, to create success. Yet at the same time, from a investor standpoint, as we all know, there's a ton of capital out there that is looking to be invested in the healthcare space. And one of those areas that uh, we see a lot of capital being put into is in digital health technology, which is another area that we see tons of activity. So I, th I think it's ripe for discussion for both of those reasons, but I'd love to hear Beth or Nezrin, you all add your insights as well. Thanks, Justin. I'll go next. This is Nesrin. That's exactly right. I mean, I think what the audience will find is we're all bringing something to the table as far as our experience, our lived experience with the wave of the future of value-based care. And I think, you know, I've seen it with a lot of clients knowing they sort of want or need to get into various value-based care models and sometimes not quite knowing how to do that, where I think digital health and investment in digital health tools is really, it's kind of amazing the impact that it can make on patient engagement, which in turn is a way to sort of keep a patient population well and engaged and in turn deliver value and see higher outcomes. And I think you know, research we're seeing, studies that are coming out about the use of virtual reality headsets, the, the use of types of video games that, that children can use that might help them manage and kind of treat their own chronic conditions like asthma. It's, it's truly amazing. I don't know that we all relish the idea that our smartphone might be a better medication adherence tool than say our physician, <laughs> but the reality is in some cases it is. And so I think if, I think a lot of providers can sort of get behind or get buy-in, so to speak, around investing in some of these tools and these technology, it can really transform the way they're reaching their, their patient population. 
I guess I'll speak next. I'm Beth Jacobson. I'm the general counsel at Kaya Health Software and the EVP of Strategic Initiatives. And I really echo what my colleagues have said very strongly. I work in the trenches and I actually see the results of the digital health partnering with the patient effectively, primarily in the area of MSK, physical therapy, and COPD. And we are now working on a long haul COVID app. We have done 11 clinical trials to make sure that these actually are real and effective. And in addition, it reduces costs by 80%. Particularly in the United States, where cost is such a factor, we're able to offer so much more affordable care that we believe is better. The other thing that I think is so crucial is just by use of your phone, which most people have these days, you can have your sessions on your phone without any other devices. So it's really the democratization, I believe, of healthcare. And with our emotion analysis, it can tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong as you're doing it, which I think really advances the care that's going to be given. So I'm a full supporter of this. I see the benefits of it. Our patients love it. And it can really be adapted, I believe, to many different diseases. One of the things that I'm so excited about with this panel is, is you do each come to this topic from different backgrounds and directions and experiences. And so I was hoping you could take a moment. You each spoke briefly about what you do, but talk a little bit more about each of your backgrounds and the relationship with value-based care. So I am a member in healthcare regulatory practice at Bassberry and Sims. So I counsel clients in many of these types of issues all the time. I work heavily in the transactional space and investments in digital health technology, as well as companies working to sort of further value-based care initiatives, as well as providers, of course, health plans. I work with these types of healthcare organizations organizations all the time in evaluating acquisitions, um, mergers, whether they be strategic, you know, we advise private equity. So we're kind of looking at these things all the time, always a little bit different because there's so much innovation and there's so much differentiation in this space, which is one of the things I think that makes it so exciting. I also advise clients heavily in the regulatory and compliance areas, more of the day-to-day work. And a lot of that evolves around privacy and security, electronic health records issues, health IT, fraud and abuse counseling. So it's kind of the convergence of a lot of the different areas that I sort of grew up practicing in is this this field of digital health technology. Because of course, we have to think about privacy and security. We have to think about reimbursement, but we also have to think about fraud and abuse. I mean, there's kind of a government loves to sort of give us give us incentives to go out and do new things but then doesn't always <laughs> doesn't always just let us do that carte blanche so we have to of course think about the kinds of ways that we're partnering and paying providers and receiving payment and incentivizing behavior and make sure that we are doing that in a way that is comfortable from a healthcare fraud and abuse perspective I'll go next. I'm currently at, as I mentioned, Kaya Health, but my career has really been starting at a private law firm in the corporate area and then primarily working as general counsel in different healthcare companies. As I've seen the advent of digital health, I've become extraordinarily interested in it. And I almost feel as though it's public health, if you will, for people who need care. And I'm a bit really big believer that you can change people's lives for the better. And by providing great care that can be proven with modern technology. 
and taking into forefront the abuses that some bad actors do and making sure that my clients don't do that. I think you can really make a real impact on people's lives. And really, I've been at the forefront of, of telemedicine and telehealth and sit on a number of committees now and boards that really emphasize the integrity that is so important in these types of issues and transactions. And I think that member engagement is going to be a lot higher if we can make it easy for people to access care that's a good quality. That's great, Beth. And I guess to, to round it out, I, I lead our financial services team at Coker, which is a healthcare advisory firm. And our key focus within the financial services team is focusing on business valuation. So the valuation of different entities, healthcare entities, compensation valuation, valuing services arrangements between two parties, looking at different strategic initiatives, and then just overall transaction advisory. And, and what's really been interesting in the healthcare space is the services that we've provided over the last 15 to 20 years have not changed, meaning comp valuation, business valuation, comp strategy, transaction advisory. Those have all been consistent, but the focus of them continues to change as the healthcare market evolves, meaning years and years and years ago, we weren't talking about value-based care entities because they did not exist. And so what we've seen is as the healthcare market evolves, our core services don't change, but where they are focused changes. And, and so where we find ourselves today is advising a number of entities on value-based care transactions or valuing the distribution models from value-based care entities to different providers or valuing services arrangements between digital health companies and different uh, healthcare entities in, in terms of making sure that those arrangements are compliant. And so that's really where we continue to see evolution in our services as relates to what's going on in the value-based care and digital health space is the core services are not changing yet as the, the market evolves, we evolve with it. And so we, we continue to find ourselves more and more focused on these new realms of healthcare, which is quite exciting. Justin, you raise a, a great point, which is value-based reimbursement, value-based care. These ideas have been around for a while now. I always say this is the fourth administration in a row that we've had that's leaned into value-based reimbursement. And it's certainly bipartisan in terms of support for the movement to value. But the way in which we're doing that, the way in which we're measuring value continues to shift, and that can lead to challenges. But with the interface of digital healthcare and the advancements in that space, it really has changed ways in which we can deliver value in healthcare. And so as we look towards your, your session at EMI, talk to us about what those who are coming to your session should be thinking about in advance, points they should be taking away from our podcast and perhaps thinking about for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, that's great. And Jeff, I'll chime in and speak to this and then would love for Nezrin and Beth to speak to it as well as, as desired. But to some, the, the whole digital health space may be new. And so what we really want to do is start at a high level and speak to the current digital health market, what we mean by digital health, what we mean by value-based care, how those two key terms and, and key realms of the healthcare market are intersecting right now. We want to look at some of the key players in the digital health space and, and just identify some of the moves that they are making and potentially some of the investment going into the space. And then obviously we're at a American Bar Association conference. And so we want to tie in some of those regulatory considerations and letting Beth and Ezrin provide their expertise from a, a fraud and abuse standpoint and just speaking to some of the key things that 
organizations need to be aware of as they pursue value-based care strategies and digital health strategies. So I, I think that encompasses some of the key focal points of the discussion. And, you know, it's a 60-minute session. 60 minutes tends to go by very quickly. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot, a lot to cover in a short period of time. I was just going to add to that, that I think my experience brings in the fact of actually getting your hands dirty, so to speak. I can see in certain disease states that this really works and it can really work well. And the rules are not that difficult to follow and they're meant to really protect patients. And once you do that, you really have the ability to, I believe, really make a difference. Like I said previously in, in patients' lives for the positive. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity and I don't think we're done. I think that there's a lot of work and we're doing some right now in AI technology whereby it's gonna really continue to improve. So it's not at a standstill by any means. And I think it's just gonna keep improving, which is really exciting. Yeah, thanks Beth. And I would add that we talk about telehealth a lot. There is some overlap, I would say, in the areas of telehealth and digital health. But what we're really talking about with digital health and with our session is something different. And if you look at CMS guidance, when CMS issues um, its approved list of telehealth codes every year in the Medicare physician fee schedule, CMS says, we interpret the Social Security Act provisions that approve payment for certain telehealth services to mean that we, as CMS, can approve only those codes that for which the service is effectively a replacement for in-person. It's something that can be done similarly, just as effectively with low risk to patient, the way you could have a consult face-to-face -face using a virtual, you know, a remote technology. Digital health is something different. Digital health is something that's inherently non-face-to-face. -face. So it's, and telehealth is incredible for sort of enabling interaction in a new way, but digital health is capturing information and thriving engagement that we haven't really ever seen before. It's the ability to harness data that's coming either from an individual themselves, from some monitoring on their body, or from, you know, in the case of Kaya, from AI that allows the tracking of their movements to even just a patient self-reporting, you know, on their app, certain experiences, harnessing that data, allowing the real-time and very efficient transmission of the data. It's not a substitute for provider engagement. Provider engagement is still really important to its success, but it's allowing us to capture a whole element of care, um, multidimensional, you know, not just physiological, but social determinants of health. It, it sort of rolls all of that data and allows it to enhance care in a way that can, again, ultimately help transform value-based care because we're keeping people healthy, we're keeping people well, we're empowering them as opposed to just focusing on treating the sickest patients with the most expensive technologies and surgeries. Well, Justin, Beth, Nezrin, really looking forward to your session. Thank you for your time today. I look forward to seeing you at Emerging Issues in Healthcare in San Diego, March 8th through 11th. There is still plenty of time to register. Uh, this session will be Friday, March 10th at 9.45. And for those who haven't had a chance to register yet, you can go to ambar.org slash EMI 2023. Look forward to seeing you there. Justin, Beth, Nezrin, 
Thank you again, and thank you for listening to Voices in Health Walk. And now, a word from our sponsors. The Health Law Section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible. Five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and VMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health. 